my son, Simon, Simon, who is almost seven, he loves watching um, really, really stupid YouTube videos. And he watches them all the time. Like, basically, anytime that he's allowed to, he'll have his iPad, which has now become his, open to YouTube and watching these stupid videos. And it's usually just, like, dumb people in their 20s acting like they're 12 doing made-up shit. But anyway, this time he's watching what looked to be, like, people racing marbles on a Lego track. (laughs) I'm, like, getting breakfast together for the kids or something. And all of a sudden I hear him and he's yelling. He's like... Come on. Oh, come on, Yusa. Keep going, Yusa. Go for it. Oh, yeah, Yusa, Yusa. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What, Yusa? And so I look, and then here printed on little marble is the American flag and USA. <laughs> and he's, he, he like speaks French, so he sees the U and he makes Yusa. Um, so I'm like, oh, that's USA. And he's like, oh, okay. And then I turn around. Next thing I know, he's going, USA, USA, USA. I love that kid. Awesome. We have all the best marbles. Best of all. I have zero filter on what comes out of my mouth. Second of all. The guy's talking about my mom. Well, that is he doing? You owe me apology. I have never cheated in my life. This is the Violation Podcast. Gentlemen, I feel like I know you guys now. It's different. It's a little bit different. Is it? A little bit. I'm, I'm a little more comfortable and I'm a little less comfortable in attacking you, either of you, really. Oh, I'm, equally, <laughs> I'm equally comfortable in attacking you guys. I was just a little, bit, a little bit surprised by both of you. Corey, a little bit more serious than I imagined. Chris, a little bit less serious, especially when at a tennis match. Interesting. Yeah, Corey is very, very serious at a tennis match. Oh, he watches with an almost violent intensity. <laughs> no word of this a lie. Was should I have been more bantery at the match? No, no, it was it was incredible to watch for me. No, you were mm. you were taking it in. You were watching that doubles match. The U.S. Open in person was probably the coolest sporting event that I've ever been to. I mean, it's probably, I don't even think it's close, really. Really? I mean, I haven't been to, like, a ton of things. I've been, uh, you know, courtside for NBA, a lot of football, college and pro, soccer. But Mm. just being there at that event was the coolest thing that I've ever been to in terms of professional sport. Awesome. A tennis event's much different. You get to wander around, you get to do, it's, yeah, it's just a different thing. I think that part of it is is also what made it unique and kind of fun was the fact that we were able to hop around and we were probably there on the best day of the whole thing to go to in terms of like decent quality matches and also still getting a variety and enough to where you can walk around and sit on different courts and things. So it was great. Yeah, and it, and the weather was agreeable and not objectionable. Well, you wouldn't be saying that if you had to play tennis in that weather. Oh my God. Yeah, K was K was really suffering out there. I mean, he looked extre- extremely um, dejected to have ooh. to go to a fourth set with uh, Schwartzman. Poor guy. And, and I'm sorry yeah. again, Matt, that he didn't win the U.S. Open. I I am sorry too. That should probably be made public, uh, Matt. I guess it was before the semifinals, right? 
Matt said that. Please specify which Matt you're talking about. So Matt Chris said, I think before the semifinals, that his hope for the outcome of the U.S. Open was that Kei Nishikori would be the champion. And I haven't been so. I put this on Twitter. You did? Yes. Oh, well, we'll have to link to that when we do the kind of recap tweet of, of all the stuff we talk about. Because I was shocked and horrified. I haven't been that horrified since Corey said he was rooting for Nadal in the Wimbledon semifinal. So you guys are just throwing all sorts of, of horrible surprises at me. I mean, that was crazy. That was way worse than me rooting for Nadal. Uh, I don't know. R- rooting for Nadal was being a terrible friend. Rooting for Nishikori <laughs> is like, it's like admirable and noble and I understand it, but... You know, at this point, you're too invested in Djokovic to to really mean that, and I never bought it. I didn't want him to win the match against Djokovic, but I felt like overall as an outcome, I might want most Nishikori to win because it's probably never going to happen. You know what we call that? What do we call that? That's an emotional hedge. Sort of. I, I actually understand that sensation, for lack of a better word, because that was me in the 2013 Wimbledon final. Um, the semifinal against Del Potro was my favorite tennis match ever um, for a number of reasons. And afterwards, I was so satisfied. And this was before like I really needed um, or really wanted Djokovic to win every match ever. And I, was, I couldn't not root for Djokovic at that point. Like It's too ingrained in me. But at the same time, like intellectually, I said Murray winning would be a better outcome. So I feel like that's a very similar thought process. But that was 2013. At, at this point, you, you got to root for Djokovic to win everything. It's it's important. I see. Especially for you slam counters. <laughs> I think at the end, Matt kind of backtracked and said, yeah, I, I don't think I really feel that way anymore. Yeah, that that's true. It's funny how we started talking about the, the feeling of impending doom. And basically, yeah. since uh, since Federer went out in spectacularly terrible fashion to John Millman, I was just like, well, I don't know how Djokovic would have to screw this up now to not win. So, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess I was less emotionally invested because I was like, well, it's probably going to happen anyway. I guess. I was still stressed out. A, a third U.S. Open felt really meaningful because... Um, you know, the I, I'm, I got really tired of the talk. Like, isn't it amazing that he's such a good hardcore player, but he's only won two, which is a really unintelligent thing to say. But everyone says it, so I'm glad he just kind of t- or kind of shut down that narrative. Now, now people talk about how Nadal's still better because he's three and one in finals and not three and five. But you know, I give up. Let's not talk about Novak anymore. Well, Novak still only has two at the U.S. Open. One is now an asterisk indoor hardcourt championship. Right. That's true. Novak is still has not won an outdoor Grand Slam since French Open 2016. That's fair. These don't count. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I'm glad we're agreed on that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, by the way, I, I became $100 wealthier today, and I just wanted to, um, to kind of boast about that. Hmm. I finally received my winnings transferred on Venmo from Ajinkia, um, which is a good feeling because oh, good. Yeah, I've been transferring money out to Lindita Djokovic, um, trying to get her to pay Novak to win. So, um, and, and she doesn't have any intention of returning that money. So, getting this inflow of of a hundred dollars from Ajinkia because of our Wimbledon bet felt really good today. So, thanks Ajinkia, I love you. Unblock me. Oh, I forgot who had blocked who there. 
I was going to play something that I found on his profile, but I'm not sure. It might be too mean to do it. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about, and I, I think you're right. I think, yeah, it might be might be a little over the top even for us. Absolutely the fuck not. Play it. That's ridiculous. Uh, you want me to play it? Of course. He posted it publicly. It's publicly available. That's true. This is I don't I don't even want to be part of this. Uh I'm torn now. If you don't do it, I'm quitting this podcast. <laughs> okay, first of all, I don't negotiate that way. <laughs> okay. Um Secondly, um, my gut was to play it, and then I had some misgivings about it, and now Matt has the same misgivings. It's kind of—I think it's two on one. I'm not playing it. Uh, well, I'll. Mm. Do you know what it is? Um, if it is what I think it is, it's a, a dramatic adaptation of a blog entry about the third best tennis player ever. <laughs> And I think it's fantastic. I think it's beautifully written, incredible prose, some phenomenal adverbs. And I think it would be a disservice to our listeners not to play it. I mean, all those adverbs and a plug for David Foster Wallace. Everyone who hasn't read that can read that now. Well, I don't want to do it if Matt's uncomfortable. You know, I hate adverbs and adjectives equally. I, I, I'm just going to sit here cringing. That, that's, that's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, sorry, Ajinkia. I changed my mind. We're playing it. When do you recognize that you were in the presence of greatness? Is it in the early, fresh-faced, precocious triumphs? I can't do it. I can't do it. (laughs) Are you serious? But, I mean... Uh, All right, fuck it. I'm going to play it. Oh, no. When do you recognize that you were in the presence of greatness? Is it in the early, fresh-faced, precocious triumphs? The first sparks which give rise to titanic forest fires? In the halcyon years of seamless, pristine mastery, when opponents are merely a foil for punchlines, when everything turns to monogrammed gold, yet fascinating decline the mind, finding ways to adapt and win when the body cannot keep up as it once did against younger opponents in changing times? Possibly, it is at some particular moment of such divine touch, among all the balls hit over years and years of competition, that leaves you so thunderstruck. What David Forster Wallace described (laughs) as Federer moments in that essay. You know the one, right? No? What are you doing here reading about Federer if you haven't read that? That you make a mental note there and then to watch it repeatedly on YouTube a million times over. Uh huh. Maybe it is some combination of these or all of these. Awesome. Sorry, Ajinkia, but you, you really should unblock Phil. Yes. But of course there is more to it. That'll have to be a part two. So initial reactions... It's incredible, and I really think it highlights the experience of what watching Federer is like. I also really appreciate how Ajinkya understands um, what it's like to grow old and how that affects your body as, as a young mid-20s man. Um, that's incredibly impressive to me. The bones start to creak 
the the footwork slows just a tad. Yeah, I can barely walk upstairs anymore. And the Halcyon Titanic firefighters go out. If I play doubles for 90 minutes and I barely move for the rest of the day, my feet are hurting like I ran a marathon. Especially if it's hot out. Uh huh. Yeah, now when I play tennis, I mean, I just try to rip the first ball. And if I miss that, point's pretty much over. Matt, you do sound like you have a cold. Maybe. Well, it's it's snowing there, so wouldn't surprise. It's better today. It's uh, it's not. I don't think it's currently snowing, but it is. I even have this in American. I think it's thirty six. Thirty six freedoms. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're kind of assuming an awful lot of our listeners. First of all, we all finally just met for the first time in person, which was awesome. Great experience. Uh, that's what all that was at the beginning. But something happened that was unique, I think, at the Open that we wanted to talk about. And it happened to be just kind of arbitrary that we were walking by the practice courts and we saw Curios warming up. Ugh. So we stopped to watch this. And, um, well, it was coming <laughs> off of the Mo debacle. That was the match before, right? There's going to be a lot of umpire talk today, isn't there? Do I have the timeline right? He wouldn't have even been in that match against Federer if Mo hadn't coached him to victory. Good point. That, that is what people say. I tried to get the audio in a form that would be intelligible for our listeners, but I think any of you who sought that out could tell that you didn't get enough of Mo in that. So we're going to do one of our dramatic recreations of this. TM. Yeah, TM. And this time I'm not going to act. <laughs> How did that happen? How, how did you just include yourself out because i'm the the director and the writer so you guys have your scripts phil is going to be mo well anyone have any problem with that yeah my only problem is i don't really actually know know mo's accent when he's not just calling matches so i'm just gonna make one up so um, i apologize and matt you're gonna be nk okay uh, okay i take it you've put some time in on this I've put zero. <laughs> I've been listening to to Curios do pressers and, and stuff, so I've I've got down like his uhs, but I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We're only doing it one time, so this better be good. Oh Jesus, a winner. Okay, so we're at the match. Nick is tanking and scene. Nick, Nick, come on! This isn't you. I know how you play. I want my trainer. I'm not failing it. Come on, Nick. We are all pulling for you. Everyone thinks you are so cute and talented. I don't know, mate. I feel bloated. My barber isn't here. Nick, your hair is perfect, and so is your serve. Don't worry about the backhand. Take the ball earlier. Yeah? Nick, my man, this is your match. You don't need the trainer. Take advantage of your forehand. Come forward, Nick. Come forward? Why? Stand between the baseline and the service line. Like in a neutral rally? Just like practice. Exactly, Nick. Pretend it is practice. Come on now. Time! That was remarkably good um, Australian. Yeah, that sounded like... <laughs> we have Australian listeners. They're going to disagree. Yeah. You I don't know, man. That was pretty good. <laughs> I was taken aback. Um, so yeah, that's exactly how that went down. Yeah, that was verbatim. Verbatim, yeah. So you be the judge. Was was there coaching involved there? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, obviously, umpires have... Um, well, who even knows what their job is, to be frank? Well, I know what their job is. 
Okay. I, I guess you have. I guess someone finally has the definitive answer about the more serious one. But we'll get to that. We're teasing it. It's coming. This barely moves the needle on weird officiating things that happened at this tournament. But I would have been pissed if I was playing against Nick and the umpires down there chatting him up and and bolstering him. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I I agree. I think it was. Um inappropriate it's I, I guess there's a fine line between trying to um you know maintain a quality and flowing match but at some point oh there was the ambulance again but at some point you yeah you know there's there's a line and i think he crossed it, it it's not a terribly big deal to me um i never i never got worked up over it but yeah i think it was inappropriate and he should get a, a mild sanction which he did and it was lucky for us because we got to su- we got to see him umpire live on like the worst court at the U.S. Open. But did he look dejected? Not at all. He was the same theatrical masterpiece that he always is. So I'm happy it happened. Fifteen thirty. Yeah, and he could pronounce "deuce," which was great. <laughs> it was cool to see him in person just like two days after that happened. But that was that was not cool in my book. And I'm glad we got to see Nick too, even though the match kind of sucked. Kinda. Uh, that's what we were hoping for was kind. the Curios Federer match that Saturday. But I mean, you don't really need your umpires down there boosting up the players. If you're the opponent, I think you'd have a really legitimate beef there. Also, considering what happened later in the women's final, where a coach from the stands, many feet away, makes a couple of boob throwing gestures. <laughs> And That's perfect. That's exactly it really what he was. was. <laughs> yeah, it would look like he was thinking about Novak. He was just like doing the boobs. The same creepy expression. <laughs> I thought it was completely inappropriate. I still do like Mo, but he, he has to chill out with the coaching. Unless he wants to actually coach Nick, and that might be a good thing. Yeah, I'd be all for that. There, there should be on-court visits then if that was, that was happening. The, the weird thing <laughs> is, so here we're out on, I believe it was court four, watching some doubles along with... Um, I don't know, 20 or 30 other passionate doubles fans. That's right. Um, but the, where court four is, is right next to the, to the practice facilities. And so we're wandering back and we see, uh, well, we saw a lot of players. We saw Coco Vandeway and, and Pat Cash doing something. And I think we saw Azarenka for a little bit. And then at the end, as we're walking back to, what, what were we even doing? I think we we're going to go watch Keys or something. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, there's... Uh, there's Curio. So we went from from Mo on court doing the umping to to Curios doing some some practicing. And and I have my my uh, fingers up doing air quotes very um exaggeratedly when I say practicing here. How how would you describe this? Well, one other person we saw hitting on the practice courts before that was was it Pui? Yeah. Yes. Pui is hitting with a guy. He he couldn't have been taller than five seven, five eight, and just rallying. The, this practice partner of his didn't miss a ball. He looked like he could have been a pro. Mm. And as it turns out, this same dude is now Nick's hitting partner. And the difference in those two practice sessions couldn't be more dramatic. One actually looked like tennis, and the other one kind of looked like something that you would do um, like at a fraternity hazing thing. <laughs> yes. Yes. 
I mean, they were playing this weird mini tennis game, and then at some point, someone would lose a point, and it didn't even add up. It would be like Nick would lose a point, and when Nick lost a point, the hitting partner had to go bend down and grab his ankles and let Nick pelt him in the ass. Hit him first try, too. Yeah, on the first one he did. He, he hit him square. And so then everyone laughs. Then there's like some weird service practice where Nick just tosses the ball like four feet inside the baseline and is cranking 150 mile an hour serves, but they're not from the service position at all, which was weird. And they were going in the fence. <laughs> and then there's more mini tennis with the, the rest of his entourage who I have no idea who they are. They're, they're just like buddies. And now they're out there practicing with Nick's hitting partner, mini tennis, and then they're pelting the guy. So that would be kind of a cool story if you then go out three hours later and then just destroy a legend. But he was awful in that match. Am I wrong about any of this? No. No. The only, the only thing in practice that you could almost call a repetition was tweeners. He was like sort of practicing his tweeners, but like from, you know, like a foot behind the service line that that's what he was honing his craft on that day. And, and behind the back volleys, which are also things that he hits. So that's what I wanted to point out for me. That was one of the most important things about this practice is that people say, Oh, curious. He's so talented. And look at all these shots that he can hit. You know why he can hit them? Because that's what he practices. And truth be told, I think he tried to scratch out a couple of those trick shots during that match, too, when he was getting killed. Yeah. Those drop shots, man. It was horrible. I mean, I've I've spent a few years now trying to not necessarily even be a fan of Kyrgios, but, you know, to hope that he emerges as, well, the guy who's as talented as people say. And, and then we see this, like... You can't you can't call this a practice. This is how you would maybe loosen up for a practice, but more likely just joke around with some beers with your friends. And this you know this isn't some Mickey Mouse tournament like like Stuttgart or, or Basel, you know, some glorified exhibitions. This is the U.S. Open. He's preparing to face you know arguably the third best tennis player ever, easily top five. <laughs> and this was how he decided to get ready. And it translated exactly during the match. Like the way he looked in the match is it was a mirror image of, of what he looked like in practice. The, the practice wasn't even entertaining, really. It was just kind of, I mean, it was interesting for, for this perspective, but it was just kind of weird and a waste of everyone's time, including his apparently. And, and when I tell people this, you know, I'm often met with responses like, well, you know, that's his right. And, and often, well, do you always enjoy your job? And, you know, these are valid points, so I reflect on them. And no, I very often don't enjoy my job, but I absolutely the fuck garner up what energy I have when I'm dealing with my client, since they're the people paying me and funding my career. And I also think it's fundamentally different. I mean, he's in the entertainment industry. I understand his rights and shit, but I, I can't believe people latch onto this like he's some working class hero. You know, would anyone pay to go see a band that can write a really good song but never rehearses and just mails in their concerts, I wouldn't. And I fail to see how this is, you know, really all that different. So, you know, it's been five years or something. And after seeing that and how it translated to the match, I'm over it. It was horrible. 
it was just so bizarre. And like you oh. said, then then you see what kind of performance that he gave that day after preparing that way, and then it was like, okay, yeah. And and I wanted to champion him for years now too. Like I I liked him. He's played some exciting matches and has been kind of a giant killer from time to time. So that that was fun. But I don't know. He's on thin ice with me too. That was really just kind of disappointing. But we we do know he has one fan. The guy who was sitting next to me during the match. Oh, yeah. So. Oh, that guy was so annoying. It was kind of annoying, but like it, felt, it just felt good to have some solidarity. Like we're in Arthur Ashe, literally the entire place is loudly supporting Federer. And it just so happened that our row was the curious cheering section, which was a little bit cool. You know, someone to high five when he won one of his seven points during the course of the match. I was not high five in that guy, but, but anyway, he was fine. Yeah, he didn't try to fight anybody. If things had gone on a little later, he might have, but I was, you know. I wasn't going to let anything pop off. <laughs> Maybe he was curious, his hitting partner. He was, he was about that size. Maybe that was him. I guess then, fast forward a week, um, Matt's Literally. home in snowy Canada. It was hot. I'm in, uh, I'm in Trump land. Chattanooga, Tennessee, and it's the afternoon of the women's final. I mean, I'm kind of hesitant to even bring it up. <laughs> I mean, we should at least honor the winner with the anthem before we get into the stuff. We'll start with the winner, who played a very good match. Congratulations, Naomi Osaka. You are a champion. Okay, pause okay. a second. Yeah. Is your... Same for you, Phil, because I've got like... Normally your mic is like over top of the sound, but today it's like... Yeah, I heard... You're yeah, buried it's the same under me. it. Oh, I, I played it pretty loud because I really didn't want you guys talking over it. Okay. Ah. I learned that from the last time. Last time I played it kind of low. Let me see. Yeah, last time I think I played it like this. And then you could talk over it. Mm-hmm. Is that is that lower in your headphones? Yeah, a little bit. So this time I cranked it. Congratulations, Naomi Osaka, champion. So that's the Japanese national anthem, right? That's the Latvian anthem. Foiled again. It's just the champion's anthem at this point. It really is. It's kind of the music I associate now with champions. You know, that was the thing. That was what we were hoping to get with our Ash tickets, actually. We were, sp- we were hoping to get the, the Curios-Federer exhibition match and then the Penko-Pova-whatever. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened. So, okay, so Osaka wins. <laughs> she goes on Ellen. She uh, gets um, Ellen to embarrass her and text a ridiculously sexy man to talk to her and you know all, all this kind of stuff it's great um so and she met lebron that day too yeah like things are working well for osaka except for like during the actual end of the tennis match and in the trophy ceremony right so all right do, we, we don't need to explain this at all right no okay so how are we going to do this it doesn't just need to be me talking, right? No, I'll start because I only have really one sentence about it. 
Okay. At the time, I was sympathizing more with Serena, and I think today, after watching it, it was clear to me, or I felt like it was clear to me that she was out of line. So with with a week of, almost a week of sober second thought, that Ramos was justified in, in what he did? I don't think that it had to be that way, but I do think he was justified, and I do think he did his job the best way he, he could that day. And uh, you hear and read so many takes on it. I just didn't want to base my feelings about what happened on the takes. I wanted to watch it again and see how it hit me because I'm a, a fan of Serena. I'm a fan of Naomi too, but I, I do think that, that she crossed the line there. And so I, I don't have a problem with the umpire. I'll say it. All right. Well, you, you said it. And you think that the umpire... The, the discretion he used was in a manner consistent with what he would use with another player, male or female, black or white. Because, I mean, that, that seems to be what the fundamental question is, not whether there was a technical break of the rules or violations, but that, you know, there, there were double standards applied. So it sounds like you think that Ramos, you know, is a history of being a stickler and he behaved in, or he officiated in a manner consistent with how he officiate any match. Is that fair? I think it's fair. And I was trying to think if there was a male player that had received the coaching thing, the the violation, and then smashed a racket and then tore into him, I, I do think it would have gone down the same way. Even if you watch him in his body language, he wasn't really reacting out of anger or anything like that. I, I don't think he relished what he was doing. He was just going by the book. It sucks, but... I don't think that uh, he needs to, to be fired or whatever. Is anyone saying he needs to be fired? I don't even think like... Well, of course people The are. WTA said he needed to be fired. And they said some weird things immediately thereafter that half got rescinded. I don't know. It was kind of a mess. Some fools on Twitter have said that, but I think that's kind of the extreme view, even for those who sympathize with Serena. So I don't think that's a very serious perspective. That's true. So go ahead, Matt. Well, while you're at it, whatever you're about to say, see if you can get me uncanceled. Okay, so this is what I've been doing today um, when, I, when I've not been doing my actual job, in case anyone who, who works with me and is listening. Um, I, I was doing my job today. Um, but I've also been spending some time reading a number of takes on, on this incident. And there are a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> Um, and they, they, they fall into a number of categories. They fall into ones that are sort of um, um, looking in some ways to completely exonerate Serena. Um, I've heard, I, I've seen stuff say that the, the main person at fault here is her coach, which I suppose in some ways is, is fair. Um, and his argument is just like, well, everybody does it. So, you know, that, that's what a French person would do too. <laughs> um but whatever, even so, so there's that, um, there's people making it, there's a, a writer who's apparently John Wertheim's uh, college roommate, but who does not follow tennis, um, who writes it in terms of uh, what Serena Williams' defeat tells us about the criminal justice system, it starts talking about gender and race pay gaps and, and that sort of thing, um, but he's he's not really looking at the the match 
in and of itself. So it's a bit of a strange take. We've got Billie Jean King um, saying point blank, Serena is treated differently um, from other male athletes, from from male athletes, sorry. Um, And she's saying that that the rule itself is, is inconsistent and that she says that Ramos, it was an abuse of power, what he did. That wow. he had the power to to change control of the match, and that's exactly what he did. And there's another one, um, I think it was also in the Washington Post, saying about kind of the same thing that the man is, uh, the Ramos is sitting up on high, you know, sort of above, and sort of changing the course of the match in a way that to to be the star of the show. So all of those things, I'm not sure that I I, I agree with. I, I wouldn't say that I would. The way that I wanted to look this. Um, it's sort of the, there's two pieces. There's a, a one from Wesley Morris at the New York Times, um, and one actually from our uh, our Twitter friend. And this is the weird thing about Twitter is that like I, I've known this this fellow for a long time, and yet all I know him as is Doctor Shoals. Oh, I was going to bring him up. So hi, Shoals. <laughs> but basically, they're, they're both in the same way. And I should note that um, that Morris is also an, an African American man. Um, what they're both looking at is that one of the issues that, that happened here is, okay, I don't think, and this is what both of these people are saying, that it, it's not, you can't absolve Serena. You can't say that she wasn't behaving out, out of, like, she probably shouldn't have done this. She probably could have been calmer, like all of these sorts of things. Um, she didn't need to make the match escalate in the way that it did. Um, but what they're also saying is that Serena is walking around right now with this this huge amount of pressure on her, and there's always pressure on her. But now, it's it's sort of like she's been tasked with not only being Serena Williams, making history and all these sorts of things, and being this groundbreaking black woman. Now she is also the face of of motherhood. And the face of women's rights when they're they're working with the bodysuit issue that was, that was like the beginning of the stupid thing when the French uh, Open official for some apparent reason comes out before the U.S. Open saying that that will not be permitted again that's disrespectful to the game or right. some nonsense. So all of this like political aspect is is out there and Serena walks on the court and she's extremely aware of this so when you listen to her talk like it sounds kind of ridiculous when she's talking to ramos and she's like as a mother my daughter and all this but and and that's what what shoals and and morris were both talking about is that but she feels all of this and she feels that you know that this is who she is and she's this representative and and ramos is looking at her and he's trying to to paint her as someone she's not, to paint her as someone who is a cheater and someone who's being unreasonable. And she's just like, but what, this is not me. I am like this person. I am this other person. So for me, what happened is that Serena is, she's a tennis player, but she's also asked to be a symbol, which is like, that's, that's fine that that's what happened, but she's very aware of this. And that I think is something that you wouldn't see from any other well, male tennis player. Like, look at like Nadal. N- Nadal's going out there. Uh, it, is Nadal a, a symbol for 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 what? Guys with yachts who suffer from male pattern baldness. Like, I 
I don't know. Who is Nadal playing for when he's out there? He's playing for, for Nadal. Nadal. So it, it's just it's just such a different thing. I, I think that's... Nadal. <laughs> I think that's... I, I could keep going, but I'm not going to. So that's that's kind of my thoughts on all of this. I, I have nothing valuable to add um, to everyone who's weighed in on this um, in terms of who was right, who was wrong, and why it's understandable that Serena doesn't react to things maybe the way other people do. Um, I, I was actually thinking of Scholz's blog entry as well, because one part of it that I was reading that struck me was when he, I think he, he referenced something about all the what ifs going in his mind as, as lots mm-hmm. of things unfolded. And that often happens to me when crazy scenes happen in tennis matches. And so one thing I was thinking as this all went down, so the match became kind of a, you know, there was there was a pall over the match before the game penalty, right? Mm-hmm. As as soon as you know she was still, as soon as she got broken and and she continued to um, yell at Ramos, like at, at that point, the match was sort of marred. And so I was thinking, probably a worse thing that could happen was when she demanded the, um, oh the the tournament referee, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brian Early, yeah. When when she called the referee out, and what I was thinking is. So what if Serena successfully appeals to the referee, the referee agrees, the game penalty is overturned, and Osaka becomes unraveled and unnerved by all this craziness, ends up giving the break back and losing the match? I mean, I think in the grand scheme of things, that's probably a weirder and and worse outcome for everyone. So everything that happened was terrible, but given that it was already a somewhat ruined match in terms of both players' ability to enjoy it. I I think it's better that it was just left. Osaka won. She couldn't really enjoy it at the time, but now all sorts of great things are happening to her. The whole world has taken notice of her and loves her. And meanwhile, you know, whatever happened with Serena, whoever you agree with, you know, at least there's a spotlight on it now. And, you know, whatever changes are appropriate in officiating tennis can hopefully make some progress. So... You know, it, it was bad as soon as Serena felt offended and lost her temper, but I think things worked out as well as they could have, given that it turned ugly. But I, but I don't have any additional perspective on who was right and who was wrong. It's it's complicated, like like you guys said. I mean, you, you say you don't have anything to add to it, but that actually is a thoughtful thing to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I'm I know what I said, but I don't know if it if it came off like. I was judging or I guess what I what I mean to say is that it, it is complicated and even though I watched it again and felt a certain way doesn't mean that that I'm uh, not open to that dialogue on things that could change or things that could be improved with the officiating and the consistency of how the rules are applied and all of that I think that's a good discussion to have and of course there are differences between how men are treated Mm -hmm. and how women are treated in our society. It's very clear and it is made more clear every day. I hope that this will lead to something fruitful and some improvements in in that regard. I don't know if it will, but I hope it does. You'd have to think there would be some kind of, you know, at least unofficial discussions among the umpires that, you know, we need to figure out how to be more consistent. I mean, if that, if that wasn't a byproduct of this, it would be a, huge disappointment, I think. 
Agreed. And I, I do think a lot, a lot might come out of this. Um, one of the things that's come out of this actually is how relatively little chair umpires are paid. I mean, we looked it up. Like a someone like Ramos would still be making what for most people would be a they'd be happy with that salary. I would say, but when you think about the winner of that tournament of the match that he's officiating was going to win 300 or 3.8 million dollars and he's making well not that um it, it does put those power dynamics in a, in a little weird perspective so maybe umpires will get paid more maybe will people maybe they'll be they'll try to streamline the rules or maybe it's tennis and what they'll do is they'll propose a different change that has nothing to do with this and that nobody asked for well that might happen as well Right. I, I don't know that there's any amount of money that you could pay an official that's going to substantially shift that power dynamic. Um, and this goes back mm-hmm. even to basketball. If you, you've heard people talk about the Jordan rules, you know, he's by far the, the greatest sportsman on the planet when he's in his prime. And he was always jawing at the officials. And a lot of times they didn't call stuff on him that they would call on his teammates or or his opponents because he was the most influential person on that floor and in that building and in that league. So I don't think that the money is going to change that uh, power dynamic necessarily. The players have to, I don't know, this sounds really naive. The players kind of have to be more respectful, I think, of the difficulty of that job of being an, an official and not use their power to kind of uh, lord over them. Yeah, and I, I do think the people who um, who speak for for umpires and who have some experience with that say that it would be it would be nice if players had more recognition of the difficulty of the umpire's job and also if they if they understood the rules a little better because one of the things as well is it's quite possible that Serena didn't even realize like she thought that Ramos could once she explained to him that she was not being coached that he was going to take the warning away right which w- was not going to happen but that that's actually what she'd understood she was like okay good talk <laughs> and you you see it in every sport when the star athlete goes to the official and they are berating them thinking that if they can just make their point forcefully enough that that somehow it's going to change the result of their call and and that never happens replay will change stuff but not um (laughs) not not based on the result of getting ripped And, and, and oftentimes you know their end game becomes not getting the call reversed because after a certain point it's obvious to everyone that it it just can't happen it would it would just be a bad look for the sport, but they, they basically want to humiliate the officials at times. And that's what I really hate. Um, mm-hmm. Like I, I was talking to you guys about um, the Cincinnati incident. So I don't mind as much when, um, you know, a player gets angry and complains to the umpire, even uses some foul language. I generally wish that they wouldn't. Um, but one thing I took notice of, and I feel bad, I've, I've been kind of mean to Federer today, unlike most days, but during that Federer match, when he felt that the umpire missed a lines call and he was arguing with him during the changeover and he said, no, 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 like, stop, stop explaining yourself. Just say you're sorry. Just say you're sorry. And the umpire eventually just said, okay, Roger, I'm sorry. And, and Roger's like, good, like you've done it. And, and that's like, that's where the power dynamic comes into me where like he, he's not even going for the call reversal anymore. He's just going for 
the person to understand his subordinated role in the match. That he's, you know, he's less important and he made a mistake, but he said he's sorry and that's the best he could do. So as, as it relates to the money, if they paid them more, it wouldn't change the power dynamic in terms of the behavior because they would never be on par with the players. But at least in perception, I mean, I wouldn't feel as put off by when players do something like that if the umpires, you know, made a million dollars a year or more. Because I'd say, you know, you know, they're well they're well paid, and if Roger Federer, who's you know even wealthier, demands an apology, whatever, they're both making a ton of money. But when one of them is doing this because you know he just loves tennis and loves to be an official, but makes that much less money, then then I really hate that kind of thing. And, and, and to be clear, I, I don't think Serena's request for an apology was was like that. I think that was saying, you know, you, you insulted my character, um, whereas mm-hmm. Roger was saying, yeah. you, Roger yes. was saying, you messed up a call. I understand it can't be reversed, so you have to say you're sorry in public. And, and that's what I didn't like. So yeah, pay, pay him more and make him more consistent. Problem solved. Look at that. Phil's advocating for extra pay. Yeah, I, I'm weirdly a socialist when it comes to tennis i want the winner i want the prize money to be evenly distributed i want the coach i want the umpires to get paid more like it's it's just strange to me that the that the, all the prize money goes to the winner of the tournament he doesn't need it or she you're not wearing headphones are you no i knew it oh i fucking knew it is that a problem i was just gonna ask that <laughs> you're like well, my damn students <laughs> the only thing it does is when when I talk or if Matt talks and your mic picks it up, it cuts you off so that instead of us overlapping, it just cuts your mic. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I apologize. I, f- I forgot about that rule, but I'll remember that for next time. You're goddamn right. Unbelievable. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Apologize to both of us like you mean it. I'm sorry, Matt, and I'm sorry, Matt, for ruining what was a decent podcast. Good. <laughs> I accept it. And I have to say that it was a real pleasure meeting you both in person and uh, finally getting to meet up and, and spend some time was awesome. I hope we get to do it again and maybe we'll do, um, you know, Roland Garros next time. Roland Garros. That, that's, uh, that sounds more feasible for me than, than you guys. <laughs> yeah. but... And you can stay with family and we'll be the ones hunting for a room. I'll be staying out in the suburbs, out, out in Franconville. Representing the Neuf Sank. If we have any French listeners, they'll know what that means and no one else will have any clue whatsoever. So there we go. I would also like to add commiserations to fans of Nadal. Uh, he's very injured uh, and may never play again. It's possibly oh dead. God. Oh, man, Phil got so excited. <laughs> no, I didn't. Or on a yacht. One of those two things. Just at the- yeah, th- th- there's a lot of evidence lately that he's really happy and, and on a yacht right now. So... No, no need to worry about Nadal. He'll he'll be back and winning soon. He's still only lost two completed matches this year, which is astounding. Two. That's what that's what happens when you keep retiring from matches. This is it's it's rigged. Careful. Jeez. Careful, I'm buddy. I'm just kidding. Everybody knows that I'm not disparaging <laughs> Nadal. Right. Right. Yeah. Oh. Also, Davis Cup, the much loved and bemoaned, now dead, lame duck tournament davis cup is going on this weekend um you guys are you've been watching it right i watched france play um spain today i was watching Puy play batista agut 
And for some reason, I despite liking Agu, I was rooting for Puy. It was weird. The French, they do, they do that for you. They- I have a question. Yes. I don't know anything about Davis Cup, and I don't really care about it, but I do care deeply about the Laver Cup. <laughs> Will they give code violations at the Laver? Do they do that? Only to Team World. Surely, yes. I mean, Curios is... Curios is going to do something. <laughs> and he's going to get a code violation for it. And plus, Djokovic is playing. Oh, yeah. He's going to smash his racket or something yeah. or like hit Federer with a ball. Djokovic so, is going to get Team Europe defaulted. <laughs> that would be awesome. See, that would be <laughs> awesome. Stripping and dancing. It sounds like we already have our next show then. Yeah, the Laver Cup special. Laver Cup special. All right. We'll reconvene after the Davis Cup and Laver Cup and then before the World Tour finals excellent i would say we would talk some about the asian swing but i can't watch any of those matches man nope not at all it's bad for me bad time i love the asian swing well when do you watch them i don't know when you're not up in the middle of the night i get up in the middle of the night (laughs) that's true sometimes we'll see him he's like he's like texting yeah harassing someone in the middle of the night on twitter yeah i i I wake up in the middle of the night and i wake up and see a bad tweet i'm I'm up and all over it (laughs) 3 30 in the morning so if there's tennis on (laughs) yeah probably josh josh or michael walker getting harassed yeah michael walker says some dumb shit i gotta get on that so if there's tennis happening i'll put it on the background or avnish oh god all right friends thanks for listening We'll catch you all soon. And uh, shout out to Anna, who we also met at the New York Extravaganza U.S. Open. Great to meet you, too. Yes, and who sent me all those articles. We'll catch you next time. Hey, when you guys were talking about Serena, I was doing the the Nadal thing that he does in the press conferences where he puts his nose on the microphone. I'm doing it right now. (laughs) I thought you were flipping your hair. I understand why he does it now. It's actually kind of fun. Finally got into the inner workings of Nadal's mind. This this feels good on my nose. Unbelievable on my nose. It's squishy. Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. Well, I got a Bumble notification. You're creating quite the buzz, Uh-oh. and there's still time to meet new people. Huh? Well, that's not a notification. That's just an advertisement. Damn.